Welcome to the Prairie Producers Podcast. At Prairie Producers, we grow and process industrial hemp fiber into user-specified sizes, feeding American-grown hemp fiber back into the American supply chain. As the very first hemp fiber processor in the state of Minnesota, our goal is to provide hemp-related information and education. My name is Nicole Johnson. I am your host and business manager at Prairie Producers. On today's episode, I have Mike Marks. He is our field supervisor here. Um, He has been a huge impact or had a huge impact from planting to harvesting. Um, He kept everything moving smoothly, kept all of us kind of doing what we needed to do to make sure that, um, yeah, we didn't miss any steps and we were moving safely. And we have all of our bales now harvested in our warehouse or in a warehouse. So I wanted to bring him here today to just give you guys a recap of what things looked like. Um, I think I'm actually going to go back from planting all the way to harvesting. So our last um, internal interview that we did was with Paul and Tim, and they talked about how, actually I think we just started planting, so we were there were so many unknowns. So today I think we can answer some of the questions that we had back then, and that was in June, May or June, July. That was a few months ago. (laughs) So we're going to do a recap and um, just see where we're at today. So Mike, if you want to take it, take it from here. If you maybe want to give a little bit about yourself, tell us who you are, your farming background. and. Okay. Um, As uh, Nicole said, my name is Mike Marks. Um, My background, I grew up on a farm. I farmed for 14 years um, and I worked at a fertilizer plant for one year. And then from there I went into a something totally different into a, a lumber yard and then from there um, the owner of the lumber yard um, started Prairie Pro Producers and hence that's why I'm here. Awesome. Um, this spring um, was kind of a challenge when we um, first started planting. Um, the ground we had for our plots um, was a hay field that was just plowed. Um, nothing was done, so when we took over, the ground was really soft. Um, the, the, the hay that was on the field was a Roundup Ready hay, so there's really nothing we could spray. So, so we ended up um, um, hand weeding most of the hay out um, that came after we planted. Um, we ran in some cold weather at first um, that really slowed the emergence of the hemp down. Um, but after it warmed up, then it came up just fine. Um, the soft soil was an issue for us planting. Um, just be- we used a grain drill, and with the ground being so soft, the, the tires of the tractor sunk in so far um, that the hemp was just seated on top of the ground because we're only planting three quarters of an inch to an inch deep. So that we ended up uh, running a drag across to try to cover up some of the some of the seed. And compaction was an issue too, right? Compaction was a big issue. Any any tire tracks, I bet we only had a half a stand in the wow. in the tire tracks. Wow. So sometimes bigger wasn't better. Mm-hmm. And when you say it, so our plots we had hay. How about our farmers? They had, I know one was a cattle yard in the past. Oh, one, I mean, what was what was planted prior in their fields? One one of our farmers did have a cattle yard, so he had immense weed pressure. Um, um, one farmer had it after sugar beets. Mm-hmm. Um, we had um, 
one guy had it after soybeans and two of the growers had it after um, uh, corn. And did we see a difference? Was it one better or worse than the other? Um, not really, no. Oh, it didn't no. Okay. okay. Um, our farmers had different methods of planting. We had, uh, we had uh, one farmer took his seed to the co-op and they, they blended it with his fertilizer and ran it out through the airflow. Mm -hmm. And he worked at the ground, I believe, afterwards and then drug it. And lucky for him, it, uh, he had a half inch of rain that night. So that worked out really well for him. Um, we had uh, one farmer went with an air seeder. Um, the equipment was pretty heavy, so you could see the, the tracks in the field just from the reduced stand. Mm -hmm. um, and the other, the other farmers planted with a grain drill. Okay. And they had narrow tires on the tractor that they pulled the drill with, and you could see that. Hmm. Um, we, had, we had planted a little plot ourselves um, with a small tractor and a small grain drill. And where we had ran our tires, it wasn't quite so bad, but the tractor that dug it was a four-wheel drive tractor, and he drove, it ended up he drove in the uh, same spot in the field three or four times digging and that was probably less than a half a stand that that came up there wow. so compaction is is a really big deal mm -hmm. um and let's talk a little bit about fertilizer so we every do you believe that everyone did the same thing did we have any issues where maybe hmm, i'm gonna you know downplay or skip a little bit on the nitrogen or you know that's just examples but um i think we learned that Fertilizer is important, correct? <laughs> correct. We, we did have one grower that, that cut back his nitrogen rate, yeah. and it, it showed up big time. Not, not so much in the beginning, mm -hmm. but uh, about halfway through, his, his crop started yellowing and just stopped growing. And when we, when we say we see the difference, was the stock itself smaller? Was it shorter? Was it just the, the, less of the a stock was smaller, okay. the plant was shorter, okay. um, the little bit of grain that was on top, I mean there was a lot less grain. Mm -hmm. um, the plant just, just looked anemic is what, what it ended up being. Okay. Okay. Um, and then I think just one thing, and I don't, I don't know that this maybe is super important, but one of our fields had had overspray, right, from a, a was it a cornfield that was next to it? Mm -hmm. I remember coming out to the field with you guys and you said, oh, this is where the spray was. It like stunted the growth, but then it ended up actually coming up right. nicely, right? So it kind of, it was kind of surprising to us that it... Yeah, there was, there was a, a couple areas where spray had drifted um, mm -hmm. from the neighbor's field mm -hmm. and it, it really yellowed the plants and slowed them down. It actually killed a few, but um, after the plant grew through it, then it was just you, um, when we cut it down, you couldn't tell where it was. Right. Yeah, so that was kind of a cool, I don't know, observation. <laughs> right, yep. Um, so then that was, so planting was May for the most part for everyone. For the most um, part. We, we did try to do some in June. Mm -hmm. um, the first week in June was like 100 degrees. So we lost, as soon as we dug it, we lost our soil moisture mm -hmm. and half of it came up. And then two weeks later we got rain and then the other half came up. So that was really ugly looking. But, <laughs> right. But... Um, it seems like that mid-May to the maybe the third week in May seems optimum planting time. Okay. Okay. And then I think we should maybe touch too. We had one grower that 
through July 4th, July 5th? We, we did have uh, a grower that um, tried double cropping after peas, mm -hmm. and he did plant like the 5th of July. Um, but uh, with hemp being autotrophic, an, an autotrophic plant, mm -hmm. the hemp got maybe a foot tall, and then it started going into its reproductive cycle. So um, his, his hemp didn't get more than somewhere between maybe waist and shoulder. And then planting after piece two with, with uh, the ground being wet when they harvested, um, the ground uh, tilled up lumpy, but he did plant with an ear seeder, but he lost a lot of stand just because it was lumpy. Okay. Yeah. Oh, interesting. So I guess that was more of an experiment than anything, right? And he knew that going into he, it. He knew that going into it, yes. Yeah. And yeah. that was... But, but he, was, he was willing to, to do it anyway, and, and mm -hmm. we owe him a lot of thanks for that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I know some of the guys are saying, hey, can we do a dual crop? You know, can we do, or not dual crop, is that the right word? <laughs> right, they, they, they thought it would be like hay where they could get two cuttings. Yeah, there you go. Um, but I don't, I, from, from our observation on the, after the 4th of July, I, I really don't think it's going to get very tall mm -hmm. where it's going to work out for them to do that. But we've got a couple growers that are going to want to go and see what happens. Okay. And when we cut, we cut, we leave six to eight inches of the plant in the field? We, we tried to leave six to eight inches. Um, the, the, the bass fiber on the bottom of the plant gets, gets hard or woody and it's not, not very, very um, um, good quality fiber. So that's why we try to do that. It's kind of like chopping corn silage. They don't mm -hmm. want the bottom however many inches it is because it's got, I believe it's higher nitrate in the corn and they don't want that in their silage piles. Okay. So what do we do with the stocks that are in the field? Do we they just they them? just work it down, yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think I heard you mention at one point people were concerned about um, hemp stocks being hard on tires. Did we find that to be true or um yes, no. <laughs> we didn't I, I don't I don't believe we ran enough acres okay. um, with the same piece of equipment to to determine that. Okay. Um, I know from combining beans, you know, cutting the bean stubble and, and probably back in the older days when I farmed, mm -hmm. um, you could see on the tire after a couple of years that the bean stubble was picking away from, picking away the tire. I suppose it's just part of crop. Right. Crop. And, and with the hemp being planted with a drill, I mean, it's all over. So it's not continually in the same spot all the time. Oh, sure. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk. Harvesting then what kind of equipment did we use? How did we? How did we get to where we are today with all of our bales? So we I guess I can say we have a combination of square bales and round bales um, Did we prefer one piece of equipment versus the other? Did we do we prefer square or round? Um, yeah, just kind of give a overview of that. Okay um, <laughs> We had we had a gentleman came in here with um, he had a, he had an older sickle mower on, a, on an older tractor just to see how it would, would go, but uh, the hemp was, was pretty tough, so um, the, the equipment he had really couldn't handle it. I mean, he couldn't go fast enough to make it cut decent, mm -hmm. so that didn't, that didn't work out so good for us. And besides that, the, with the sickle mower, it cut it pretty close to the ground, and we didn't, we didn't really want that. Mm -hmm. um, we had a farmer who, who also does hay, so he had a, um, a hay bine and he had a disc mower. Um, they, they tried the, the hay bine. Um, it worked okay in, in shorter hemp, 
-hmm. but when they hit the, the taller hemp that was probably more thick mm -hmm. it it just it just wrapped up and it, it didn't work so, and, and besides that on the hay vine the conditioner on the back um, we had turned it all the way as loose as it goes and it, it beat up the stalks of the, the hemp pretty good okay. I mean it, it, it did what it what it's supposed to do but it was probably a little a little more than what we wanted done with, with our hemp stalks we would uh, it would break it up and it would lose, lose uh, too much of the, the herd from the inside. Gotcha. And when you say shorter hemp versus taller hemp, how, you know, what, what height were we looking at? When we oh, we were looking at stuff that was maybe shorter height, probably worked okay. Okay. But when you were six, seven feet, mm -hmm. then it was, it was just too long. It would, it would, it was, it would wrap on the, on the, the towers on the side. Okay. So, okay. so that, that, uh, we were all hoping that that would work, but it didn't work. The, the dismower seemed to work the best. Okay. But then again, that just um, cut it down in the field, and the next pass you drove on it, and, and it just made raking a little more difficult. Sure. So then raking, um, what did that look like? You know, we, for those that follow us on social media, we I shared a little bit, um, a few of our videos, we, we got to demo some equipment from Hog Equipment and probably some other dealers that I'm not even aware of. But, um, yeah, if you can kind of give the details to that. Okay. We, uh, we got a hold of an old side delivery rake and tried to use that. Well, that, that didn't work very well because the, the teeth were too soft or the springs were too soft. Okay. Um, we had uh, one of our farmers... Um, went um, and contacted a, a dealer of uh, ANC um, equipment out of Painesville and they let him demo a rake. Um, it was, uh, I, I'm not exactly sure what the technical name for the rake is, but it was driven with hydraulic motor um, and, it, and it raked um, the hemp to the middle. Um, that worked okay, but being the hemp was, um, when it dried, it was like raking sticks. They would stick in the rake, and then they would kink over, and then it would just plug the rake up all the time. So you spent a lot of time unplugging the rake, mm -hmm. and then um, hog implement out of Wilmer, they um, they brought down a small um, rotary rake, and that that worked really well. Mm -hmm. And then um, the the Wilmer store got in, in touch with the Marshall store because they had a double wheel. Um, rotary rake and they brought that up to let us demo it and that worked really well also okay. so that that was about the the only rake that worked um, um, one of our growers also tried a wheel rake but they went about 50 yards and it was full of hemp so that that didn't work at all <laughs> <laughs> okay so then how about baling okay we when we got to the baling part um, we had a a farmer who um, wanted to um, said he could he could bale it all. Mm -hmm. um, he had a, a, a big square baler, a, a four by three by eight. Mm -hmm. um, it worked good when the when the hemp was really dry, but when it got a little tough, um, I don't know if it was just the setup that he had on the baler or what it was, but um, it it wouldn't feed into the baler or, or it it, um, it uh, kept wrapping, okay. and it, it didn't work well at all. When it was dry, it worked great. So what had happened, I mean, we, the moisture was just too high. It rained or, you know what I mean? Like, we're, did, 
are we looking at two different fields, one that had just been cut, had been sit, sitting longer, or what, what was the difference? Um, the difference was the, the time of day. Oh. Um, during the midday when the sun was out and the breeze was blowing and it was super dry, mm -hmm. it worked great. But when the humidity set in and the, the hemp itself started picking up moisture and getting a, a little tough is what they call it, okay. then that's, that's when a lot of the wrapping occurred. Interesting. Um, we round baled some. Uh, round balers seem to work just fine. And we don't know, here's the next thing we don't know yet is, I don't think, is if our equipment, when we start processing, if we prefer round versus square, is that correct? That is correct. Okay. We don't know what's going to work best, so we've got, we've got some of each. Mm -hmm. um, one issue that the, the square balers had was um, when the needles came up through the bale um, to tie, it would uh, bring hemp up and it would get in the knotters and then the knotters wouldn't work. So that was... That, that's probably the biggest, the biggest hang-up that the square balers are going to have. Okay. At least from the little bit that we did. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, we didn't do all that many, many acres. Right. Right. Um, so when you, you know, talking about all the equipment from planting to harvest, I think in general, the far some farmers had the equipment, we had to bring in some equipment. What do you think that's going to look like? I mean, I know there's been so many discussions it could go anyway, but next year? Um, I believe next year we are looking at doing the cutting and the raking, um, possibly the baling. Okay. Um, just because it, um, to wait for somebody to do it isn't going to work out. Right. Because um, anybody that's baled knows that when it's time to go, it's time to go. You can't wait till well. I got to finish up what I'm doing, then I'll come. Right, that, that just doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And for for a time frame, what did what's like? Would you say is the optimal once it's cut? When should it be baled? Because it should sit for a few days at least, right? Well, it it, it needs to dry. Right. And then once it's once it dries, it's uh, um, any time. Yeah. It it really doesn't need to sit in the field for a certain amount of time with the processing machine that we have, from what I understand. Okay. So just as long as it gets dry, um, if you know conditions are ideal, you know low humidity, sunshine, wind blows, um, turn it. You know you're looking at possibly a week. Okay. Um, but if you got a few days where it rains and you have to rake it, it rains. It could be, it could be up to three weeks. Right. Like. We had just about some this year, just about went three weeks just because of the weather. And that's not a bad thing though, right? Some no. people say, no. oh, is it molding out in the field or is it, you know, anything like that? You know, for, for the hemp to get to be rained on and stuff like that and to maybe get a little musty smell is, is doesn't affect it at all. Okay. Um, in fact, certain machines, um, processing machines require it to lay out in the field to do something they call redding. Okay. which is um, the glue that holds the, the, the bass fiber on the outside to the herd on the inside. Mm -hmm. um, the, the redding process um, basically decays or, or eats away at that glue, which, which makes processing easier. Sure. So a lot of people are used to their hay if it gets, you know, cut it. Mm -hmm. You know, you want to get the bale right away because you don't want it to, to get musty smelling, which, right. which hemp isn't nothing like hay. Right. Okay. Yeah, that's a good way. I, you know, I didn't think of that. So the 
our processing equipment will take the bast and separate it from the herd. Well, if it's naturally doing that out in the field, it it, it probably just makes it go through a little easier. Mm -hmm. Probably easier on the equipment. It, and it might make it a little more dusty, just because oh. you might have the the mold spores and stuff floating around more. But sure, we you know with the with the, the air systems to to vac the dust up. That mm -hmm. sh shouldn't be a problem. Okay. Perfect. Well, I think that that was a good overview. I think. Unless, do you think I missed anything? Or we we did do some um, experimenting with some some uh, herbicides and stuff um, as. Well, maybe, as we know here, there isn't a single herbicide that is cleared to be put on hemp. Mm -hmm. um, there's some organic um, fungicides and insecticides that are, that are cleared, but as far as any herbicides, there is nothing labeled to go on hemp. So we did, we did a few experiments here with, with um, with some different herbicides so when the day comes we hopefully have a, a little jump on it mm -hmm. so are you documenting are you you know like what when you say experiment what does that look like um experimenting right now we were kind of limited on our equipment this spring so a lot of the, the herbicide application was done with a hand sprayer which okay. it's uh, very hard to regulate how much you put on mm -hmm. so and it all had to do with you know speed of your arm movement or pressure in your tank and, and you know what your actual coverage was as, mm -hmm. as opposed to a sprayer that's been calibrated where you can control your pressure with a pressure gauge and your speed with a with a speedometer or, right. or just the rpms on the on the, the machine mm -hmm. yeah things i would never think of <laughs> but it makes sense um and so i guess when the experiment it was kind of on an individual plant basis right you weren't I mean it was, it was what was the population I guess it was just I'd go out and spray you know just a, an area that was a couple feet by a couple feet just to see how it, how it would react mm -hmm. um, and trouble with that is a lot of the herbicides you buy are in two and a half gallon jugs and, and everybody knows the cost of herbicides so to to buy a two and a half gallon jug and use a, an ounce or two out of it mm -hmm. and just leave the rest sit on the shelf that doesn't uh, that doesn't work very well, at least not at this very early stage in the game. Right, right. So. And you have kind of the details of obviously of what you used, the dates that Correct. you used it, kind yeah. of thing. I, I even went so far as to I went out into. Um, I've got friends who farm, and you know, ask them if they use like this chemical, and they said, "Yeah, we just sprayed it." So I'd go out and I collect some of the dirt and then plant actually plant oh. hemp in there to see if it was going to grow through it and. And sure. some stuff worked and some stuff didn't. So it's, it was all kind of like the whole year an experiment. Yeah, that's cool. So where could we take that information? I mean, is is there a pilot pro or some sort of a program maybe in Minnesota or a University of Minnesota Extension or something like that that we could say, hey, here, this is what we've learned. Can you help us maybe or we, can we help you go to the next level with this? Um, I know I know there's there's some universities they have been doing you know um, chemical trials on okay. on their hemp already on their on their trial plots and stuff and this is just more for us here just to see how it okay. how it would work gotcha. so as far as us taking it to a university or something they probably they might already know that Got it. Yeah. we learned a lot this year and hopefully next year go better we can you know do more you know trials of chemicals and maybe some some different varieties and, mm -hmm. and stuff like that and 
and uh, we're not going into this blindly like exactly. we did this year. Yeah. So next year will be better. Mm-hmm. To add to that, I think we had a very good uh, group of people working towards this. You know, the few farmers that really went out of their way to help us and the equipment dealers and I mean all of us as a team, us six employees and pro equipment helped us out and you know I think it was very successful for what we had. You know, right. Going into a blind we, we, we did. <laughs> uh, we we have one one farmer, um, Alan Turstig, he he did a ton for us. Um, I mean he he um, got the the one rate to demo and he he used his equipment to you know different equipment to do trials for for cutting and stuff and and baling and and he helped out a ton he he helped us haul bales mm-hmm. and, and we owe him a big thanks yeah absolutely him and and his employees and the and the equipment uh, companies that that let us demo rigs mm-hmm. I mean to go out and you know buy a piece of equipment just to try it that's as everybody knows, equipment's expensive, and, exactly. and we owe them a lot of thanks, too, for letting us do that. Cool. Well, that's a wrap, I guess. All right. Thanks, well, thank, Nicole. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Prairie Producers Podcast. You can find us on our website at prairieproco.com, on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube. You can also contact us directly at Nicole at prairieproco.com. We'd love to hear from you, and we hope you continue to follow us on this journey of reconnecting hemp fiber and agriculture.